Welcome to the Valley Brook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a sermon from our current series, Tough Questions. When we follow Jesus as our Lord, we do so by faith, but not blind faith. So somewhere along the way, questions will arise. That's good because seeking answers will help us grow deeper in faith. Tough Questions tackles some of the difficult questions people have about Christianity. During the past several months, as we transition to live streaming our services on Sundays, we have created an online library of videos. If you're interested in listening to or watching any of our previous messages, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. However, moving forward, these messages will be available as part of our sermon podcast as well. Enjoy. Well, we want to welcome you to Valley Brook Community Church. Those of you who are joining us on our Granby campus and those who are joining us on our online campus, we're glad you're here. We would love to connect with you, so we encourage you to fill out one of our connection cards. You can do that on our app, or you can do it on our website, and then we can have a conversation. We would love to do that. By the way, if you'd like to support our ministry, you can give online, or there are offering boxes on the walls here in our campus, so you're encouraged to use either of those ways. We are concluding a series today called Tough Questions, and we've been looking at tough questions all throughout this series to really see how we can grow in our faith in Jesus Christ, because some of those questions can become impediments. So today's question is this, if I live my life for Jesus, will I be rich and happy? If I live my life for Jesus, will I be rich and happy? Now, uh, in the Christian world today, there's a stream of thought that says God wants you to be healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. And, and I remember quite uh, clearly as a, uh, a young Christian when I was first exposed to the message uh, uh, like this, and it, and it came from a television preacher, and basically he said this, is if you want God to give you a Cadillac, don't pray for a Chevrolet. You know, it was this idea that, that God wanted to give you an upgrade in your, in your vehicle. And, and you know, the, the more I began to, to think about this, and actually the more I heard about uh, this kind of teaching, what I saw was a huge emphasis on materialism and on health. I also saw scriptures being interpreted in ways that, that I had never heard them interpreted before. And, and quite honestly, I saw... A, a, great deal of opulent lifestyles amongst these kinds of teachers. Now, I'm grateful that God gave me discernment because even though I was new to the Christian faith, I, I sensed there was something about this message that just didn't seem right. And, and though I had limited knowledge of Scripture and Christianity, the Holy Spirit guided me away from that stream of thought. Now, that experience was more than 30 years ago, and I've since uh, learned that that stream of thought is called the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. We'll just call it prosperity gospel for short. And to my amazement, this stream of thought, this stream of teaching has not decreased in those decades. It's increased. And the reason that amazes me is that the, the whole of Scripture is so clear that this prosperity gospel idea isn't true. It's false. And yet people are still drawn to it. You know, I think the reason the prosperity gospel draws people to it is because it appeals to our self-centered nature, that we always want to be happy, that we always want to be healthy, that we they always want to be wealthy. And the prosperity gospel is a false teaching because it teaches inaccurately 
that scripture says that God's desire for us is happiness, healthiness, and wealthiness. And uh, it even teaches that that's the reason that Jesus came to earth. You know, I was thinking about it during worship. We're singing uh, that song, The Heart of Worship. And, and the whole idea of behind that song is that the person who wrote it realized that he had made worship about himself instead of about God. And the reality is that's our, our, our sort of our downward gravitational pull that we want to make everything about ourselves. And the reality is, is as while I'm talking about this teaching today in very obvious and open and, and ways, oftentimes this teaching can be very subtle and very nuanced. And so we have to pay attention to it and recognize that it is a false gospel. Now, actually, you may be surprised to, to know that God's Word speaks about uh, the gospel being taught in a false way, false gospels. In fact, in Paul's day, as he was being inspired to write the letters that became the New Testament, he actually spoke out against the false gospel. So let's read what he says in Galatians chapter 1. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man or woman, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. You see, when God inspired Paul to write these words... He was confronting a different false teaching that was being spread throughout the churches in Asia Minor, the churches that he had helped start. And this false, false gospel of Paul's day was based on a teaching that said that to be a Christian, that to be saved, you had to believe in Jesus plus do the good works of keeping the Jewish law. This movement was called the Judaizer Movement. And it ignored the true gospel, the gospel that said that Jesus came to destroy the power of the Jewish law and offer salvation through faith in Christ. The false gospel that he was addressing was teaching that you're saved by Jesus plus doing good deeds. And likewise, the prosperity gospel today is a false gospel because it twists faith in God and it turns it into a self-help kind of philosophy where God and Jesus exist only to serve humanity and to make humanity help, help, uh, happy. And that's not what it's about. So we're going to walk through that question and look at, at two parts of it. Remember the question was, if I live my life for Jesus, will I be rich and happy? So let's ask the first question, does God want me to be rich? Now, let's acknowledge this. Scripture makes it clear that there are people who are rich, people who are poor, and people who are everywhere in between. There is nothing in Scripture, though, 
nothing that says God wants to make us rich in money and material possessions. It does say he may bless us that way, but that's not his goal to make us rich. Actually, to the contrary, there are many verses that caution us on the trap of pursuing riches and wealth. Paul, the apostle, cautioned his protege, Timothy, with these words. He says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. He's saying, listen, the love of money is the root of all kinds of bad things that are going to ruin your life and actually pull you away from Jesus. In another part of Scripture, when a rich man comes to Jesus and asks him what he must do to inherit eternal life, Jesus strikes up a conversation with him about following God. They cover the commandments of Scripture, which this man is, says he has kept. But Jesus tells them that there's some, he recognizes there's something more going on with this man. He recognizes that for this gentleman, he's made something more important than God. It's his wealth. So Jesus talks to this man and he says, listen, I want you to sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. So look, Jesus is saying, listen, your wealth is your God. You need to sell some of your wealth and you need to distribute it. You need to, to share it. You need to spread the love of God to other people by being generous. Now, he's not saying by doing that, he'll get into heaven. What he's saying is by that, he will demonstrate that he's truly a follower of God. His focus will become right. And his faith in Christ will solidify his salvation. But unfortunately to this gentleman, those words are incomprehensible. He cannot imagine selling some of his wealth because he loves his wealth. He loves his money so much. He walks away dejected. Jesus assessed what had happened in that conversation with that man as he spoke to his disciples afterwards. He says, truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Now look, Jesus isn't saying that it's bad or wrong to be rich, but what he's clearly addressing is that dependence on wealth instead of dependence on God is not what God desires. He wants our dependence on him, not on the things, the stuff of this world. Think about it this way. When you have the means to buy everything you need plus the means to buy everything you want, then you can become reliant on your wealth, reliant on your ability to take care of your needs instead of recognizing that God is ultimately your provider for everything you have. It can become easy to wander from dependence on the providence of God and instead think that you're self-reliant. The Apostle Paul saw this. Again, he was, he was teaching his protege, Timothy, and this is what he says to them. He says, command those who are rich in this present world 
not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God commands us to not put our trust in riches, but to put our trust in him. Now, some people would like to take the last phrase of that verse and where God says that, where it says God richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, they would like to take that as a proof that God wants us to be rich, but that's not what it's saying. It's saying that whatever God does provide for us, he provides it for us for our, our enjoyment. You see, God provides it. Yes, he does. And yes, God wants to enjoy the provisions that he gives to us. But does God want us to be rich? No, that's not God's goal for any of our lives. God wants us to use everything that he has given us and to live our lives for his glory. He wants us to know that every blessing that we have comes from him. And he has blessed us. He has blessed us in many ways. He's blessed us with different abilities and different callings. And he wants us to be faithful to use them. And yes, God will bless some of us with the ability to be financially successful more than others. But again, that's not God's ultimate goal for everyone. Paul took this up with those who were rich and he gave them further instructions about what was required for those who had been blessed with riches. Listen to what he says. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. He's saying, listen, uh, the heart of the good news of Jesus Christ is the generosity in which God has lavished on us. And so now we need to be generous with with what God's provided us. You see, God doesn't want to make us rich with money and material things. God wants us to be spiritually rich in him. Again, the Apostle Paul writes these words. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus gave up the riches of heaven to come to earth to live as we do. But he did that to secure our salvation so we could know the riches of heaven. Now let me be clear. The riches of heaven is not talking about material wealth. It's about having the spiritual blessings that we receive through faith in Jesus Christ. The promise of the Holy Spirit while we live here on this earth and the promise of eternity when we leave this earth. Now unfortunately, prosperity gospel teachers will take that verse and others like it and they'll twist them to support their idea that God wants us to be materially wealthy. In fact, the prosperity teachers will take this very verse that I I read and, and say that the atoning sacrifice of Jesus' death was not just to save us from spiritual poverty, but also to save us from material poverty. But but sadly, that's a complete misreading of this verse, and it's a complete misrepresentation of what the gospel is all about. You know, the full testimony of Scripture is that God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to earth to die as an atonement for our salvation so that we could know him and spend eternity with him. You see, God wants us 
to be with him forever. That's the true riches that he wants us all to have. So that's the first part of the question. Let's look at the second part of the question. Does God want to make us happy? Yes, God wants us to find happiness in him. He wants us to find joy in him. Jesus came over uh, over and over. He says that he came to give us joy. In one part of the scriptures, John chapter 10, he says this, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now, Prosperity gospel teachers will want to translate that verse through the eyes of our culture. When they talk about having joy and having a full life, they want to talk about having all of your dreams come true. And having a full life is what they talk about. And through the eyes of secular culture, that's how it gets interpreted. But that's not Jesus' biblical worldview. And that's not the biblical worldview that the Bible teaches us. Jesus wanted us to know that we can find joy in him and have a full life even though we live in this world. In this world that can be difficult. In this world that can be challenging. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but I have overcome the world. And if we follow, that, follow him, we learn that. You know, the truth is Jesus didn't hide the fact that there would be difficulties in this world for his followers, that there would be hardships, that there would be trouble. He lets us all know when we read through the scriptures that we will face those difficulties. We'll even face persecution for our belief and our following in, of him. In one part of the Gospel of Matthew, he says this. He's talking about the cost of being his follower. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up my cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for, you, for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? The joy in knowing Jesus and following him now and into eternity is what we look forward to. Maybe the best explanation of this comes from John 15. Jesus is talking and he says, Ask the Father, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know the master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything I have learned from my father I have made known to you. Jesus is talking about our joy, our joy that comes in loving him as he has loved us and in loving others as he has loved them. And experiencing the joy of being devoted followers of Jesus. You see, our joy and our happiness comes in knowing Jesus. Our joy and our happiness comes in believing in Jesus. Our joy and our happiness comes in following him and being obedient to his teaching. But the prosperity gospel says something different. It says that we're not supposed to suffer, even though Jesus says that. It says that 
Jesus came to make us just happy in this world. We will find joy in following him and loving him, but it's not just about our happiness. It's about being faithful and obedient to him. In the prosperity gospel, God is supposed to make our lives happy and enjoyable and easy. In the teaching of the prosperity gospel, God serves humanity instead of humanity serving God. The prosperity teachers turn the relationship between God and us into a quid pro quo transaction. In other words, I'll give you something if you give me something in return. James Goff in Christianity Today says, God is reduced to a kind of cosmic bellhop attending to the needs and the desires of his creation. So how can you recognize the prosperity gospel? Well, the first thing you'll see is that it teaches that God is a means to an end. The prosperity gospel sees God as the means to our health, to our wealth, and to our happiness. It neither sees God as the sovereign God of the universe who deserves all of our worship, nor as this supreme creator of the world. Rather, it teaches us that God is all-powerful to make our lives better. Any teaching that says God serves humanity and not vice versa is wrong. Scripture teaches clearly that we are part of God's creation and God is the creator. So, therefore, the creation serves the creator. The Westminster Catechism says this, that humanity's purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. But the false teaching of the prosperity gospel would reverse that and say that God's purpose is to glorify humans so that we can enjoy life forever. That's one of the ways you can recognize the prosperity gospel teaching. Here's another way. It turns Jesus' atonement into an extension for our health and our wealth. The prosperity gospel teaches that Jesus came to save us for eternity and to make us happy, healthy, and wealthy. So let me unpack that for a little bit. Let me make sure that I'm clear. Look, we all know that we're supposed to pray to God, and that we take our needs to God, that we pour out our heart to God. So I'm not saying that we don't pray to God, that we don't ask God for things, for our good help, for success. But we need to recognize, as I said in a sermon earlier in this series, that God can answer our prayers in one of three ways. By the way, he always answers all of our prayers. Sometimes he says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says not yet. Now the reality is, you're probably like me, and you've prayed a prayer somewhere along the way, to, to get well or for someone to get well from some type of illness or injury and it didn't happen. Or, or maybe you've prayed a prayer and asked for a favor in some type of uh, material way for you or for somebody else and again it didn't happen. Does that mean that God uh, doesn't like you or doesn't want to answer your prayers? No, it means it's not God's will for you. And so that's why he answers with a no. But the prosperity gospel would say this, that if you didn't get what you asked for, it's your fault because you didn't have enough faith to make God respond as your cosmic bellhop. 
to do what you want him to do. You see, the prosperity gospel waters down the message of the true gospel. It wants to say that Jesus came for our health and our wealth instead of that Jesus came and the sacrifice on the cross was for our salvation so that we can be reconciled for God now and forever. Jesus didn't come to earth because we have a health or a wealth problem. He came to earth because we had a sin problem and that sin problem kept us separated from the God who loves us and wants to know us. I appreciate the words of, of Ken Mbungwe. He, he points this out. He says, you know, one of the most famous miracles that happened was Jesus feeding the 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. But many people really don't know what happened after the crowd was fed. You can find this in the Gospel of John chapter 6. Amazed by what they saw, the crowd of people who had gathered there decided to lead a political coup and try to make Jesus king. Did they have the right idea of the gospel? No. Particularly no, according to Jesus. Now this crowd zealously sought Jesus to the point of jumping into boats and following him as he and the disciples sailed across the lake. But when at last they found them, he did not commend them for what they did. Instead, he rebuked them strongly. This is what he said. He said, truly I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. You see, they were following Jesus for material advantage. Jesus performed signs and wonders in order that people would believe in him and receive eternal life. But these people were more interested in a free lunch and whatever else they could get from Jesus. They thought the Messiah would give them all they wanted in life and they were missing what was incomparably better and what Jesus offered. You see, if you're following Jesus for material benefits, you failed to identify your greatest need. It's the greatest need that every single person has. The Bible tells us this. The Bible tells us that God is righteous. And it says that all of humanity is unrighteous, that we're sinful. And God sees our sinfulness as wickedness. And we cannot stand against a holy God's righteousness and be seen as unrighteous and wicked. We can't come into a relationship with him. If we don't understand that, we don't understand what the gospel's about. You see, God is not concerned about our financial struggles or our relationship stresses or our career ambitions as our primary priority. He's concerned about our sin problem, and he wants that to become our priority. Will he answer prayers about other things? Yes, he will. Is he concerned about them? Yes, but not as his primary priority for us and our primary priority should also be our sin issue. Let me remind you of what the atonement means. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, the word atonement means a reparation for wrongs. In other words, it's a payment for our wrongdoing. It's a payment for our sin. Jesus came 
to make a payment for our sins once and for all so that we could be reconciled to God. The prosperity gospel doesn't teach that. Now, there are more signs that will tip you off about the false gospel, the false prosperity gospel. You'll see that there is an absence of dealing with the suffering and self-denial that Christ's followers are called to. You'll see that there's an emphasis on teaching that the more you give, the more God's going to bless you. You'll see that there's a kind of self-help, self-improvement part of being in this teaching. But ultimately, why is all this important that we know this? Because teaching a false gospel prevents people from hearing the true gospel. And if you don't hear the true gospel, how can you be saved? Ultimately, that's the reason behind this whole series of tough questions. These questions that people have, uh, the, the questions that people have are important that they be answered and that they be answered correctly. And it's important that people understand false teaching so that they don't get pulled away to a false gospel. Because then they may reject Jesus and the salvation that God offers to all people. As the Apostle Peter reminds us all, God wants everyone to turn from sin and no one to be lost. But that can't happen unless they hear the true gospel. So let me go back to today's question and answer it this way. Yes, God wants us to be happy, to be happy in Him. Yes, God wants us to be rich rich in our relationship with him, riches in the things of eternity that really matter. And all of that can be found only in the true gospel that he provides. Now, just as a reminder, the true gospel is this, that God loves us so much that he sent Jesus into the world so that we would no longer be separated from God by our sins. He sent Jesus to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And if we accept that, if we believe in him and trust him, for what he's done for us. We receive the forgiveness of our sins and the promise of eternal life. So what should we do in response to this message? Well, first, if you've never embraced the true gospel that Jesus came to to live for you and to die for you, to show you the way to heaven and to atone for your sins, if you've never done that today, you can do that, whether you're here on our campus or in our online campus. In just a moment, I'll lead you in a prayer that you can just put in your own words and pray back to God. But if you've already prayed that prayer, if you're already a follower of Jesus, here's what you need to know. You need to know that we are God's plan to share the true gospel with the world. Every person who's come to faith in Jesus Christ is supposed to be an ambassador for Jesus and take that message to friends and family and people in our circumference of relationships and let them know about the truth of Jesus. So I want to pray for you and I to be bold in sharing that message, but I also want to lead anybody who's never professed faith in Jesus Christ to do so. So wherever you are, if you just bow your heads and close your eyes, I'm going to take us into this prayer. I'm going to start with those who want to profess their faith in Jesus to to believe in the true gospel. So if that's you, very simply, I encourage you to pray these words back to God You can put them in your own words. Just do it silently wherever you are. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins. 
And I believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. And now I want to follow him all the days of my life. And we'll say amen to that part of our prayer, but we'll continue in an attitude of prayer. And I'm just going to pray for all of us. God, we thank you for the true gospel, that we are so loved by God that he sent Jesus into the world to become the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And he offers that salvation to anyone who would believe in him. And Lord, I am grateful that we can receive that true gospel. And I'm humbled that you would entrust to each and every one of us that gospel message to share with one another. So give us the courage and the boldness and the sensitivity to your Holy Spirit to share that with whomever you lead us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.